This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Are you driving your car or doing laundry right now? Podcasts go best when they're bundled with another activity. Like Progressive home and auto policies, they're best when they're bundled too. Having these two policies together makes insurance easier and could help you save. Customers who save by switching their home and car insurance to Progressive save nearly $800 on average. Quote a home and car bundle today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. Hello and welcome to Little Gold Men, the podcast from Vanity Fair and Panoply that proves that award season really is a year-round event. I'm Katie Rich, the deputy editor of VanityFair.com, and I'm here with Vanity Fair's digital director, Mike Hogan. Hey there. And Vanity Fair's film critic, Richard Lawson. Hello. So last week saw the release of a sequel that no one asked for uh, with Independence Day Resurgence, which nobody liked either and got creamed by Finding Dory at the box office, of all things. But we have at least two Roland Emmerich apologists here in the room, and uh, we want to talk about why at least Richard and I keep coming back to the director of the original Independence Day, but also Stonewall and 10,000 BC and some other terrible movies. And uh, what might happen for him next after Independence Day Resurgence kind of flopped. From there, we'll venture to the total other side of the box office spectrum and talk about what's looking like the art house hit of the summer, at least so far, The Lobster. But first, the week in Oscar news, which involves looking at another box office flop. Uh, Richard, you saw Free State of Jones. I did not and may not have even known it existed if I hadn't read your review. What happened there? I don't know what happened there. Um, it's one of it's a movie from STX, which is this new sort of mid-budget studio um, that has been profiled in the New Yorker. Long and, profile in the New Yorker. Yeah, and a really fascinating one that people should read, just kind of about how financing is working for this one company uh, in L.A. So yeah, it was this $50 million project from Dr- Gary Ross is the director who did the first Hunger Games movie and Seabiscuit and Pleasantville. He's got a really kind of weird career. But it's this prestige Civil War drama starring Matthew McConaughey based on a real guy who from southeastern Mississippi who basically started his own sort of militia to fight against the Confederacy and later aligned with the Union because, you know, the the Confederacy was stealing, taking horses and food from local farms to feed the troops. And they were sort of rejecting that kind of authority, basically. So noble historical story. Yeah. And there's like an element of civil rights in there because um, the real guy, his name... is Newton Knight. He married a former slave of his grandfather's and basically helped start this kind of all-black community in Mississippi. He was the leader of um, a regiment of the Union Army during Reconstruction that was mostly black. And so he, you know, had this sort of more progressive racial attitude than many people in that place at that time. So they try, the movie tries to sort of synthesize all of that into something big and stirring, but it's just, I don't know, it just doesn't, it feels very odd. Does it feel too old-fashioned, like white savior slave drama? Like There's a big element of that, and I think that especially in a year when The Birth of a Nation is coming out, mm-hmm. which tells a story that takes place about 30 years prior in the 1830s, but about a slave rebellion. And that movie is, you know, written, directed, starring, produced by people of color. And uh, this movie, Free State of Jones, is not. Yeah. Uh, so it just feels a little bit, yeah, like that white savior kind of thing. There are a lot of scenes where Matthew McConaughey sort of ministers to his troops and some of whom are are, are black. And, and it just feels a little 
like, yeah, like he's sort of this deity and they're kind of all worshipful of him. Yeah. I mean, even after 12 Years a Slave, like most people haven't seen uh, Birth of a Nation, but 12 Years a Slave was a reasonably big hit. Like, mm-hmm. like there just mm-hmm. has, it feels like the time is not now for white guy helping black people in the Civil War. Yeah. Sorry. And the thing about it is, you know, obviously because the historical record is what it is, like they can't, we don't have necessarily record of everyone from that era. So they could have kind of invented a character, like maybe like a freed slave or an escaped slave. Like I just feel like they could have balanced it out somehow and they didn't at all. And I think that that's a really strange impulse, especially in 2016. You're saying like, it's not necessarily a bad thing to have a story about a white guy who helps black because slaves. He's a real person, yeah. But but if you're not gonna also have some black characters with agency and right. rounded development, then then you're yeah, really starting to look okay. like an anachronistic thing that we thought we put behind us. That's exactly right, and I yeah. think because you know with these kind of biopics, like they ha- they have to pad out the narrative with made up stuff. I mean, we don't we don't know what these right. people were doing every day of their lives, but all of that padding out favors. Matthew McConaughey's character and it's like well you right. could have given some of that to somebody else so yeah. there is a the, um, Marshall Ali from uh, like House of Cards mm-hmm. great actor he plays basically um, Knight's kind of second in command who is an escaped slave and great actor it's a potentially good role but it just they kind of just they don't they don't give it to him so and, and then from a marketing perspective like why they released it in you know, middle June, of summer and like they barely kind of gave promo to it like i feel like there weren't a lot of ads or whatever so it's just a very odd movie that i think on paper with the director with the star especially you know this was his first real post oscar movie and yeah well interstellar kind of yeah. became i mean that, that did pretty well like he's had a pretty i mean he's had a really flawless track record between yeah. you know in the last five years it just it, it looked like it was going to be something big and it just isn't and it's one of those movies that kind of just fell through the cracks and you know for good reasons in some in some cases. Mike, are we worried about the state of the McConaughey's? Well, I was just going to say, is this why McConaughey's talking wistfully about True Detective? <laughs> it very well might be. Honestly. Yeah, this might yeah. be what gets us True it Detective was, 3. It was yeah, good back when, yeah, but do we, is that what we want from him? Or, <laughs> <laughs> given how True Detective Time is a flat circle. Out? Yeah, no, I mean, it'd be, like, I think he can survive one flop easily. And it made $7.5 million, which is not great for a big wide release. Uh, but it's a, it's a, this is a weird move all around, it seems. Yeah, but yeah, it doesn't feel like the kind of thing you'd pin on McConaughey not having box office pull. No, it's definitely right? his passion project. So he was like a big driving force behind it. But I don't think he know, was. How okay. are you going to sell like a Civil War historical drama in the middle of summer? No it's also, um, I mean, it, this is probably not evident from the trailers or anything, but like the movie is also has a real kind of libertarian, very pro gun streak in it. Oh, which like that's bad timing. <laughs> well, you know, the more you talk about it, it, does sound like slightly strangely coming from Gary Ross, but it sounds like one of those movies that's part of the reason that they're not worried that they might be quote unquote problematic is that they're really aiming toward that sort of flyover Trump mm. Brexit audience yeah that that's yeah. like you know that thinks that the real racism problem in America is like racism against whites yeah and I don't want to totally make fun of those people because I think that you know I've been reading a lot about it in the wake of Brexit and I think that they are suffering from their own you know nightmare situation these days and totally generally overlooked by you know Hollywood mm-hmm. but totally. it sounds like it just didn't connect with them either yeah, so no. it just didn't connect the with American anybody the American sniper crowd maybe that's the yeah. Hollywood terms right, to put it in right that's nicer than the Mel Gibson Passion <laughs> of the Christ crowd but right. probably ultimately similar crowds yeah well he's uh, American sniper crowd exactly yeah no I mean and that's, and that's like McConaughey's kind of like seemingly that's his 
vibe a little I mean, bit. Or could be. There are yeah. movies aimed toward the American sniper crowd, like, you know, the, the Mark Wahlberg Boston bombing movie. Like, those things are coming regularly. So that's, like, definitely an audience that people are trying to tap into. I don't know how much yeah. Free State of Jones tried to get there, but they clearly... Uh, I also think that it's a terrible title. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is. That, that doesn't help. So that's the end of the Oscar buzz for that. Uh. <laughs> yeah, I would say that's about it. And, you know, it's not a terrible movie. There's some really good filmmaking there and some good performances. So it's it's probably worth seeing when it, you know, shows up on, you know, Showtime On Demand. In, in like, six months. In like you know, yeah. we're like two months. But I love when I can cross a title off my list of things yeah. I have to see for Oscar season. <laughs> yeah. So thank you for that. You're yeah. welcome. That's I, great. I, yeah. Well, it was, it was worth a that's, Tuesday evening. Too, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is one of the great things about having Richard around, you know. <laughs> Save us two hours. That's two, actually two twenty too. Just oh, save yeah, us two twenty. Yeah. This day forward, we declare the land north of the Pascagoula Swamp, south of Enterprise, and east of the Pearl River to the Alabama border, to be a free state of Jones. Yeah. And as such, we do hereby proclaim and affirm the following principles. Number one. No man ought to stay poor so another man can get rich. And two, no man ought to tell another man what he's got to live for or what he's got to die for. Number three, what you put in the ground is yours to tend and harvest and ain't no man ought to be able to take that away from you. Number four, Every man's a man. You can walk on two legs. You're a man. It's as simple as that. So it's been 20 years since Roland Emmerich. Basically, and the summer blockbuster had been defined by Jaws, but Independence Day came out in 1996 and I think really set a new standard for a Fourth of July movie and kind of how big the hype could be around a summer blockbuster. And uh, since then, he's built a career on the kind of gigantic, really dumb movies that Oscar season basically exists to counteract. But Richard, you and I have talked about this repeatedly. Um, we kind of really love Roland Emmerich, at yeah. least uh, want good things from him. Yeah, because uh, he's made some great movies. I mean, yeah. you know, they're not like, they're not high art necessarily, although they're own, their own kind of art. I mean, Independence Day in 96, like, as much as we've come to kind of bemoan the the movies where a whole city is destroyed and it doesn't really mean anything anymore, kind of like Batman versus Superman mm-hmm. style. Like, Independence Day sort of invented that in those trailers where they blow up the White House and then the Empire State Building. That was, like, crazy at the time, yeah. you know? So he's, you know, very good at that kind of... Emmerich is really good at that kind of spectacle. But he's also made some great kind of traditional disaster movies like 2012 and The Day After Tomorrow mm-hmm. um, that have, you know, they sort of feel like something from the 70s and they're just fun. And he gets, you know, fun actors to be in, you know, his movies. And they have a sort of easy appeal to them, I would say. He's also made some clunkers, which is why we have this kind of love-hate relationship with him. Yeah, well, and uh, for White House, or uh, for um, Independence Day Resurgence, which uh, we both saw last week, and, uh, you know, some Americans saw it, but not many. Not many. Um, we, we, I didn't really have high hopes, and I, I don't know if you did either. Like, this um, one kind of felt like a, a stinker from the start. Yeah, no, I think it was a bad idea to begin with. I think it was probably too much time had passed, and, you know, people sort of, it, it, the, the original movie seems kind of quaint, actually, in, oh, if, yeah. if, if you watch it now. It's on HBO Go. I watched like an hour right. of it before Game of yeah. Thrones on Sunday, and it's so charming. Yeah, it's a fun movie, and like you know, it's it was um, Will Smith. I think he had been he'd been in movies before. He'd been in Bad Boys um, before, and, but this was really his like 
Hello World like star making mm-hmm. performance, and it's so good. He's so charming in it, and and uh, Jeff Goldblum and and Bill Pullman and Vivica Fox and Mary McDonald. Like it's a good fun cast. So yeah, when they announced Judd Hirsch. this, Judd Hirsch, yeah, <laughs> it seemed like kind of a shameless cash grab, and it is. Except the grab part didn't work <laughs> or isn't working. <laughs> Mike, your yeah. nostalgia tends to be different from mine and Richard's, just for an age thing. Does Independence Day have any resonance for you at all? The original. Uh, no, not for me. <laughs> I will say that I, I once had lunch with him when he was doing when he was working on Anonymous. Oh yeah, his William Shakespeare identity uh, passion project, yeah. and he was very you know it was very kind of almost poignant that he was talking about how he'd made all these disaster movies, but this is the story he really wanted to tell, mm-hmm. and it's not a. I mean, I think that movie is. I, I would like to hear your defense of it. I don't think it really works, but. It was kind of enjoyable, and it was fun to see an action director recreate Elizabethan England, as bizarre as the whole thing was. Yeah. And then I, I remember, I thought White House Down, which was maybe the second to the next film, two films later or something for yeah. him. I thought it was actually a pretty good oh, movie. Oh, I love White House Down. Yeah. And it's so, also in rotation on FX a lot lately, which is like kind of the perfect place for it. Yeah. And again... Here's he, the fun is seeing him recreate something instead of the Globe Theater. It's the White House, right? Uh, so he's obviously he can really create these worlds, but it seems like when it goes off, it, I mean, you know, it, is he a master of kind of uh, pacing and plot and character? I don't know. I'm not maybe not as much. You know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, White House Down was a great movie uh, that did very badly at the box yeah. office, and I think you know, it, it, Olympus had fallen had come out probably three months prior, and yeah. Yeah. sort of kind of overshadowed what, what I. Think is a far superior movie. Oh, yeah. Olympus has fallen and somehow got a sequel, which is infuriating. Yeah. Um, that didn't do well. No. Um, but yeah, I, Anonymous is a weird movie. I, I watched that with a friend kind of on a whim a couple years ago, and it's historically bullshit. I mean, it's, it's <laughs> right. not. Uh, you it's know. The idea yeah. that uh, this guy wrote Shakespeare's work. Yeah. yeah uh, it's not Christopher Marlowe, but kind of an unknown. Uh, a, a, a Duke or an Earl or something. Yeah. yeah. It's, you know, it's this Stratfordian kind of anti-Stratfordian um, movie about the authorship uh, of Shakespeare's plays and uh, with this great kind of British cast. And I don't know, it's really stylishly done. And it yeah. feels like you said, you know, having lunch with him, by the end, it has this real kind of moving coda. Like it feels like a passion project. Oh, and it I, totally and I really was. responded to that in a yeah. cool way. And Reese Ifans yeah. is really good in it. He's like giving his yeah. all as, yeah. the, uh, as the guy who is writing all of Shakespeare's work. Exactly. And Rafe Spalding is a really funny, like Patsy Shakespeare. So yeah, yeah. there's a lot of good yeah. acting in it. It's a lot of good acting. And they knew it wasn't going to. You oh, know, sure. make a lot of money. It was no. basically like, go ahead, Rowan, make this crazy thing. Oh, yeah, thing. it was funded exactly. by Sony. But I love that he was also kind of like, but I can't do it for less than $50 million. And I'm like, well, all right. <laughs> yeah. no. He literally has no yeah. idea how to do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, I don't know how much Stonewall cost, but like that was kind of, that's kind of the next... Uh, it's not like Joss Whedon making Midsummer Night's Dream like yeah. on the weekend. <laughs> this was like a giant... Yeah. Yeah, so, so Richard, you saw Stonewall and, and m- sure many did. people famously loathed it, including yourself. Yeah. Uh, but so... I mean, that movie has its many, many problems. So what makes you kind of like have faith in the guy after something that egregious? Well, that just felt so out of his wheelhouse that I was like, eh, he doesn't, you know, like that was just like not what he's good at. And so I just kind of trusted him to or trust him still maybe uh, to come back to what he's good at, which, you know, although the the more we talk, except now he's not right. Exactly. (laughs) And the more we talk, the more I realize that like he's done some varied stuff that I kind of like all of it. So. So, yeah, I don't know what his real like um, true focus is. I think he uh, has a movie. His next movie is called Moonfall. 
And it's sure. about what if the moon <laughs> fell. fell to Earth? I honestly <laughs> think that's kind of good. That's kind of what happens. I'm in intrigued. Like, I'm intrigued. Like, Wait, yeah, but totally. that's kind of what happens in Independence Day, where the or the new one, where the ship comes and like drags Liam Hemsworth from the moon to Singapore and then to England, oh, that's and then right. they yeah. get dropped. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I'm not super sure what happened in that scene. Yeah, this big alien ship that's like the size of the Atlantic Ocean descends <laughs> on Earth and. Yeah, it, this movie, Independence Day Resurgence, is just a little too unwieldy and they just are going, they're trying to kind of make up for the lack of originality and surprise that the first one had and, and Will Smith, frankly, um, by just kind of doing big Transformers-esque, you know, yeah. stuff that doesn't work and, you know, yeah. it, just, it feels kind of pointless. And the thing that's great about, I think, a lot of Dynamics movies is that they have these weird touches in them. Like in the original Independence Day, casting Judd Hirsch at all is like such a yeah. stroke of genius and he's back in this one and there's this great moment near the end of the movie where he winds up driving a school bus full of kids, half of whom are wearing like animal hats. Across like the white Across the, like, the, the, the Utah salt flats and yeah. it's so weird and inspired but so much of the rest of the movie you got Liam Hemsworth and the guy who plays Will Smith's son who like is such a non-entity that like yeah. you can't even process that he's there there's so much of it that just feels lazy and there's a lot of green screen and a lot of like not wanting to put the effort in there yeah. so that when like Charlotte Gainsbourg shows up doing stuff you're just like alright so that's the good stuff but like why can't it balance out the, yeah I uh, hope Charlotte Gainsbourg likes her new summer home in oh outside Paris or whatever she, she got, got like, <laughs> whatever she did this movie yeah her and the uh, the guy who was the tour guide in White House Down who's uh, kind of looks like John Oliver like they're just they follow Jeff Goldblum around for the whole oh, movie oh yeah that's yes. great it's a really yeah. odd movie Mike I don't know if I can even explain to you how strange it is I mean, I'm sorry, but I'm 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 loving <laughs> this episode because I'm crossing another one off my list. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. you guys saved me now five hours. Yeah, it's uh, in a this conversation. I mean, the well, I mean, we may talk later in the summer about what a weird summer movie season it's been. But when yeah. something like this that seems like such a sure bet falls apart like that, it kind of bums you out. This was supposed to be just the money machine, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh, we'll just you know crank it out and 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 it it didn't pan out. One thing that is interesting about the movie, um, and that's interesting about Emmerich's kind of oeuvre um, recently. Is that you know he's an out gay guy and and he um but he has sort of avoided those topics in his filmmaking a, a lot except for Stonewall. Well, then yeah. came Stonewall, <laughs> um and now well and then Harvey Firestein is in the first Independence Day and sort of unceremoniously is killed and sort of and that's played as a joke, which is a little weird. But in this movie, <laughs> we have uh, Brett, Brett Brent Spiner from mm-hmm. Star Trek reprising his role as the kind of scientist in the underground you know area. Who we all thought thing. died. I think, who we all thought died, one. but turns out he's just in a coma. And it, as the movie unfolds with his character, it kind of becomes clear that he and the, the other scientist are, in fact, an item. Which I did not catch, honestly, no. at all well, They watching call each the other movie. baby a couple times, and then there's this sort of emotional thing at the end. And, you know, as sort of odd and unex- and sort of, you know, it's it's understated, let's say, as it is, I think it's kind of cool that he's teasing that out, you know, yeah. and so maybe going forward, like, there'll be more of that. And so that's another, and maybe that's, maybe um, that's another bias of mine, like, with him. It's just like, it's just cool, like, that there's this, you know, out gay director who makes these big commercial, mm-hmm. you know, sort of mass appeal kind of things, I think. Well, has there been an action, a big action movie with an out gay protagonist? No, I don't think so. I mean, so the X Men movies and me- operate in metaphor, which I don't think yeah. really count. But well, yeah, I think that that's what Roland Emmerich should do next. Yeah, yeah. why not? Yeah. Well, Moonfall, the moon can fall on a gay person. <laughs> it doesn't have to just <laughs> it's fall on a straight. Odds are it will. I mean, it's big enough <laughs> yeah. that I feel like it would hit a lot of people. Sounds like the yeah. name of uh, you know a certain kind of performer too. Moonfall, <laughs> ladies true. and gentlemen, Moonfall. <laughs> 
Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I don't know. I still, despite uh, despite everything uh, with that Emmerich has subjected us to in the past few days, <laughs> um, I uh, you know I'm not advocating anyone go see this or Stonewall or anything. But you know, if you want to be completist about his 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 body mm. of work. You have to see these. Watch White House Down, though. That's oh, the sure. that's the yeah. true under underrated gem in this whole crowd. And as much as he's a crazy person in real life and on Twitter, um, James Woods in White House Down is this like amazing <laughs> villain. Like, yes, so good. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. There's a there's well, Richard Jenkins and William Fickner in uh, White House Down. I yeah. think where like they both are like great character actor villains. So yeah, Jamie Foxx as basically Jamie Fox Obama. Is the pres- uh, yeah, so you know he puts on his Air Jordans to yeah. run away from the terrorists. It's yeah. uh, Jason Clark <laughs> is the terrorist. It's re- no, there's that's so right. much. And you haven't even mentioned movie. Channing Tatum. I know. Yeah, it's one of like the weirdly best casts of the last yeah. couple years. Yeah. Like, oh, oh, and, really and Maggie Chillenhall. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a Secret Service agent. Yeah. Yep. Oh, boy. By the way, it came out three years ago, like now. Yeah. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. Maggie Gyllenhaal's also enjoying her summer home. So it's really working yeah. out well for everybody. Summer home's watch. all around. <laughs> yeah. Let's just go watch White House Down. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Next week will be a live commentary on White <laughs> yeah, House Perfect. Down. Mr. President, Dr. Oaken, you're awake. Very much so. Why are they screaming? No, 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 no. They're they're not screaming. They're celebrating. So as Independence Day Resurgence proved, it's been a kind of rough year for blockbusters so far. You just have to look at the box office mojo top 10 to kind of see that. But independent films, as usual, they're kind of, you know, holding down the quality. And uh, it's been pretty good for them, including at the box office. The Lobster, which is maybe one of the weirdest indie film success stories I can imagine, has uh, has done pretty well for itself so far. It's from it's the first English-language film from Greek director Yorgos Lenthimos, who made Dogtooth and Alps, kind of a very niche thing up to this point. And the premise is really weird. It, it's set in a world in which single people are sent to a hotel and given 45 days to find a mate. And if they don't, they are turned into an animal of their choice, which is nice and thoughtful of them. Mike and Richard, you both had anecdotal evidence last time we talked that people are seeking out the lobster. Richard, I think your mom was uh, one of mm-hmm, them, mm-hmm. who uh, might not otherwise be seeing high-concept European art films. It's being released by A24, which has a really good track record with getting odd indie films out there in front of people. And it's made $7.5 million, which is more than twice as much as Everybody Wants Some, a movie that we all loved and I really thought more people had seen. That's such a bummer. Yeah. Um, but what's the, I mean, Mike, what's the secret to you of what's making this movie take off? I don't know. That's a great question. I can't figure it out. I mean, it won the jury prize at Cannes. Uh, I think part Over of it... Over a year ago, the Cannes before this right. year, which is interesting. I think A24 maybe is very smart about how they're marketing stuff and aggressive because they're kind of having fun right now. They won three Oscars, was it? And they're mm-hmm. like they're sort of in growth mode, yeah. which is a good thing. I, I know the people who mentioned it to me, because I always do think, like, I know there's a whole, like, crowd. I've, I call it, like, the crowd that shows up at Katie's parties. <laughs> and if they talk about, like, a cool, weird movie, I'm just like, whatever. You're the only person who's ever going to see that. Film but Twitter, when I, I think, is another Film term. Twitter. <laughs> but when I see, like, a, a normal human being with a job <laughs> tell me, like, oh, I saw The Lobster the other day. I'm yeah. like, what the hell? And two people. But I think partly it's because it was playing in, in Brooklyn, where, mm-hmm. you know, where people are. I saw it are. at BAM. Yeah. Right. It was playing at BAM for a while. But, uh I don't know. It's so cool because – but I watched it last night with my fiance, also a person in politics. And at the end of it, she was like, that's really great. Like that's the kind of interesting movie that I like. 
And so there's something about it's just like it works. Mm-hmm. It's funny. I think Colin Farrell's part of it. It's actually got a really good cast and yeah. and a lot of people that you're kind of surprised. I mean, people love Rachel Weiss, people mm-hmm. love Colin Farrell, uh John C. Riley is in it. But it is sort of like an like a theater of the absurd. It reminds me of the kind of theater we used to do in college that we thought was like very cool, <laughs> like the UNESCO Samuel Beckett yeah. stuff. Mm-hmm. But it's also really funny. And then at the end of the day, I think it is a you kind of can relate to this. It basically is if you got really stoned with your friends <laughs> and we're like, you know what our society is actually like with relationships? And then you like literally took all of your metaphors and made a movie, right? It's, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's as if we have only X amount of time to find a mate or else we get like sent out into the woods and treated like, you know, <laughs> pariahs. And then, but you know, it's like the, the meta, the, it operates on a level of metaphor that's not that far removed from like how it feels to be a human being yeah yeah those are some of my theories no i think that's right mike and i think that um this is not to denigrate the movie at all which i think is great or or to you know diminish its intelligence but i think it it is the kind of indie movie that has a weird hook that has a lot of cool interesting filmmaking but is not so art arty that it's alienating i think it Mm -hmm. it finds that perfect sweet spot that um something like internal sunshine found or being john malkovich found you know where you you go and you feel kind of like you know you're seeing something offbeat which you are but it's also like um, it's it, it it's appealing and it feels relatable and and I think that that's a really tricky balance for a movie yeah. to strike and I think yeah. that um, Lanthimos does that very well and it's really funny and it's really funny and it has a good cast and um, yeah I mean anecdotally like I was at a one year old's birthday party in Way South New Jersey this weekend hey. and sitting on a porch and four people there told me they had seen it and they're not people who are in the film world at all. Uh, and then I was at a brunch with a, a friend from high school on Sunday and with uh, her aunt and, you know, just kind of like, again, people who aren't avid moviegoers and they had, three of them had seen it, you know. So it just, it, ha- it, it has legs and it has really good word of mouth. And, you know, there are a couple of people I've spoken to who are not really high on the movie. They just didn't work for them. But almost everyone I've spoken to has found something really like worth kind of um, like evangelizing about, which I think well, is... And it's- it's a good setup for a debate, right? Yeah, because yeah. one of the people who who uh, brought it up to me was like, "What'd you think of that?" You know, like the people want to talk about it because yeah. it is it's so weird and it kind of does raise all sort of sort of provocative questions mm-hmm. about is our society actually you know prejudice against single people or yes. you know <laughs> says the, the single. But person wait, does Colin Farrell have some kind of sneaky giant fan base that I'm not familiar with? This it reminds me of like when I finally figured out that Ewan McGregor was a gigantic uh-huh. international star because yeah. of the pre- Star Wars prequels, yeah. which yeah. sort of shocked me. I mean, he works a lot. He makes yeah. weird choices. Like Colin Farrell is constantly showing up in movies that like you know no one's ever going to see, but he wants to make it yeah. because he wants to work with this director. I mean, True Detective season two. I mean, is, is in Bruges enough of like a cult? comedy that That's, people would seek out another weird movie with Colin Farrell in it? In Bruges is I think a cult comedy for a lot of people who maybe aren't film buffs but that movie it like really resonates with them like yeah. I've talked to like a lot of like dudes who like yeah. really yeah, like that movie. That movie is, yeah. that movie is and, funny in a much more accessible way than The Lobster yeah. I think. Like yeah. Bruges yes. is just funny. Yeah. I also think with Colin Farrell have you ever met someone who doesn't like him? You know, who like doesn't yeah. think he's a good actor, or you know, he. I don't think he's ever really had. There that kind was of, a time. There was a time like ten, when, ten years when, yeah, ago. early on when he was like still the pretty boy guy. When people were like, all right, and he was making, right. and he yeah. was getting drunk shitty all the time, and, making shitty yeah, movies. Alexander and uh, yes. that, that era. Yeah, yeah. but I mean, he since then really worked very hard to, I think, 
do interesting things. I mean, you know, even True Detective 2 on paper, that was great. And that was a good call on his part. But yeah. like, it just didn't work out. But right. But no, I think he's, he's just like, so winning in this thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And to the point where I was like, if it weren't so understated, I would almost say he had a dark horse chance as a, yeah. at a best picture. Hey, if we, if we keep talking about it, who knows? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> shot. I could see that. I could see this film like lasting because mm-hmm. uh, thanks to this groundswell. Yeah. Uh, and it's been it's building nice. buzz amongst film Twitter people, people like us yeah. since Cam last year. It played at Toronto. It played, I mean, probably every festival between Cannes. It was at New York Film Festival. It's yeah. been very shrewd about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what do we think? I mean, is it screenplay? Is that it's probably its best chances, like awards-wise? Probably. Yeah. That seems like, a, I mean, that like you mentioned being John Malkovich in Eternal Sunshine. Like, that's usually a home for movies like this yeah. when it comes to the Oscars, figuring out what in the world to do with them. But A24 is canny. I mean, like you said, Mike, they won and three Oscars. Ten, if yeah. you get 10 movies in the in the, nom- the Best Picture I could nominees. see it being a number nine yeah. Best Picture. Yeah. Yeah. And I could see Rachel Weisz slipping in in a, if there's so a weak supporting good. actress thing. And she's got a couple things coming out this year, so she'll have a lot of sort of movement behind her. Yeah, mm-hmm. she'll ha- you know. she'll have a campaign going for Light Between Oceans too. That's and the other one where supporting. she's the lawyer defending like, or or being sued by a Holocaust denier. Oh God, I forget what it's called. <laughs> she's not the Holocaust denier. <laughs> I mean, the score was pretty good. The score is really good. I think that Olivia Coleman, who plays the sort of administrator of the hosp- of the hospital of the hotel, right. she's great, and she people. She's love got her. that night manager mojo now. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. So yeah. Th- so. That's- I also, know. the girl who um, I don't actually know the actress's name, but she plays uh, she marries Ben Wishaw, and she she was oh, in yeah. uh, Hannah. Yeah, and she's been kind of growing up on screen. I think she's so funny. Yeah, really everyone's great. It's a good movie, you know, and it's something I saw it at Cannes in 2015, uh, and then again at New York Film Festival a few months later. And you know, so it's been a long time since mm-hmm. I've seen it, but it's still with me, and I remember it very vividly. So. Yeah. You know, and I've told a lot of people to see it. It has that kind of um, you want to. You That's like, what it is. Yeah. It's you going around telling mm-hmm. people what oh, you want. You assemble the seven yeah. million dollar audience. Yeah. Oh, we should also say that they did a very fun online camp- marketing campaign where you went to a website and a- were asked a series of questions. And then it told you at the end what your animal would be, mm-hmm. you know, if you were ah. in the world of the movie. And that got passed around on Twitter and Facebook ah, a lot. Okay. So they've just been very, like, smart about how they, they're, yeah. you know, packaging this this odd, I mean, ultimately depressing. What do you guys think? I, I find that movie sort of sad, but with a sort of a little bit of a comforting kind of pat on the shoulder. Yeah. If you're single. It's I, dark I, as hell. Yeah. It has yeah. the classic ambiguous ending where it's yeah. like, do you choose to believe in love or not at the end of the movie? And yeah. you kind of have to decide what you think happened. Um, what what would you do for your lover? <sighs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I find it. De- I think I find it more depressing. But also that love is real, which I think is like for a movie like that to come yeah. on the side that like a connection between two people is possible and real and matters is uh that's that's yeah. saying something. Yeah, and then this really arty, um, interesting kind of you know indie world director is saying something very like universally human about like feeling lonely or wanting yeah. to be with somebody you know that's like everyone can you know from from the sort of most pretentious cinema buff to just you know your average joe everyone yeah. is like oh yeah i can relate to that mm-hmm. so. you know what's wild about colin farrell just looking at his uh filmography the last movie he was in was the winter's tale the uh oh goodness that yeah. truly bizarre passion project yeah. uh and so it's been that and true detective season two and and then saving mr banks before that he's had a that, this is why we're all rooting for him he's like an underdog yeah. at this point yeah yeah he had the like minority report rise and now he's uh yeah well it's inspired casting it really is oh yeah he's he's really good and and, and i wouldn't have expected him to be able to play that actually so understated it's such a sad sack yeah yeah a sad sack well, anyway, they're not, he is not, Irish. Though. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, and it was filmed in Ireland. So there's that. Anyway, go see the lobster if you haven't. Yeah, I understand this discussion is a little unpleasant for you, 
but it is my duty to prepare you psychologically for all possible outcomes. Now, have you thought of what animal you'd like to be if you end up alone? Yes, a lobster. Why a lobster? Because lobsters live for over 100 years, are blue-blooded like aristocrats, and stay fertile all their lives. I also like to see very much. I water ski and swim quite well since I was a teenager. I must congratulate you. The first thing most people think of is a dog, which is why the world is full of dogs. Very few people choose an unusual animal, which is why they are endangered. A lobster is an excellent choice. So before we go, uh, let's take a look back at the year that Free State of Jones star Matthew McConaughey uh, won the Best Actor Oscar that I guess makes us talk about things like Free State of Jones as an Oscar play, even if they're not going to be. At the time, it seemed like no one was going to win other than McConaughey. But uh, looking back at this crop of nominees, uh, there's some interesting choices. So... uh, that year, Matthew McConaughey won for Dallas Buyers Club. Then the other nominees were Christian Bale for American Hustle, Bruce Stern for Nebraska, Leonardo DiCaprio for The Wolf of Wall Street, and Chiwetel Ejiofor for 12 Years a Slave. So, guys, who should have won? Let's remember, Bruce Stern uh, campaigned his ass off he did. for this thing. And people thought he might have a chance just because he knew all those old voters. Mm-hmm. And he was going to every single opening of every single Nebraska envelope. was the Best Picture nominee. That's crazy. Yeah. And then Leo, the fans were really enraged when Leo didn't win. That right? was really the the loss that sparked that whole thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yeah. basically why he won. Why he now has an Oscar. Yeah. Looking at this list right now, the I mean, I think McConaughey was great and and Chiwetel also to me was uh, mm-hmm. was so freaking good in 12 years. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, Chris, I liked American Hustle, uh, but I I mean, you know, I don't know. That, that's not a best actor. It's almost weird that he's in Best Actor because you think of that whole movie as being an ensemble. Yeah, 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 and 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 uh, and I think Leo got the. I don't know. I think arguably Leo got the Oscar for the right movie. Oh yeah, you think that the Revenant is the. Uh yeah, the best Leo performance has been nominated. I think so. I mean, I didn't. I didn't really like Wolf of Wall Street. I didn't really get it, and I thought it was kind of repetitive and too long and just Definitely sort of repulsive so in a lot Revenant. of ways. Um, whereas The Revenant was at least you know sure it was too long, but like <laughs> but like what he put himself through was and it was so surprising to me versus this one where it's like oh Leo's playing like a pampered asshole who mm-hmm. came from nothing like what a shock yeah right. sorry but. <laughs> No, I, I know what you mean. Um, I, yeah, I mean, it's a tricky list because um, maybe minus Bale, every one of them has a sort of like, re, you know, you're like, okay, I, I could see voting for them because of blank. But I, I really think that it's for me, it's between Edgy of Four and, and Bruce Dern. Nebraska was my favorite movie that year. I think it's a really beautiful movie anchored wonderfully by this performance. But then with Edgy of Four, who's really, I mean, not that Dern hasn't been, but he's just been, Edgy of Four has been so vital and good in so many things in the past 15-ish years Mm -hmm. that like it was exciting that he got nominated and that movie while it won best picture like maybe was a little under awarded that night i think yeah so it would have been nice for him to pick that up too because i mean lupita was was awarded yeah Yeah. she was the big acting bid for that which kind of made his campaign kind of an afterthought when he was you know, being buried under the hyper on McConaughey and DiCaprio. Whereas I feel like he had more to play than she did in a way. Yes. Yeah. I mean, not to take anything away from anybody, but Lupita's thing seemed to have more to do with 
her being such a fabulous discovery and yeah. instant star. Yes, yeah, the, the ingenue Oscar, which ha- right. happens for actresses a lot. Whereas Chiwetel, I mean, when you think about what just happened in his eyes and on his face over the course of two hours, it was that was really yeah. unbelievable. And the transformation from civilized, you know, kind of, kind of like free guy to someone being tortured and back again. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, what about McConaughey, though, Richard? Did you not think that that was... No, I like him in that movie, and I think that, you know, that's a really tricky film to talk about, Dallas Buyers Club, because on the one hand, you know, it it highlights a, a time in American history, and you know, the AIDS crisis in the mid-'80s that, like, has sort of been forgotten in, 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 in kind of popular culture, at least. But it's a movie that does that through the perspective of a straight white guy that it's the free state of Jones of yeah. uh, oh, movies God, about the gay AIDS, yeah. crisis, AIDS crisis. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, yeah. and then, and then, you know, with the Jared Leto's character, like I, I certainly know people in the trans community and, and their allies were upset that they didn't cast a trans actor to play this role of Raylene. It seems like now, honestly, like or three Ray, years later, me. they wouldn't have, they wouldn't cast a, yeah. a straight guy in that role. Yeah. Anymore. I think, yeah, I think it just, yeah, Enough exactly. Has so it's just hard for me to sort of, fully get behind that movie even though McConaughey's great you know I think McConaughey also did the physical thing where he lost all this weight and he was really committed to it and on the one hand I appreciate that on the other it seems sort of shameless and like you know kind of like give me the award Um, (laughs) but uh, but he didn't seem as hungry for it as other actors Leo have seemed (laughs) so I don't know I mean I think they're all worthy minus Bale maybe Uh, but I'm I'm, going to give it to Edgy for well McConaughey was also coming off this incredible run where he'd had uh, Killer Joe and he'd had Magic Mike and there's like He'd really been yeah. great in a lot of different things. The Paperboy, he's great in. So it was yeah. kind of like a a capper of the McConaissance, like we were talking it about. It was earlier. the McConaissance. Everyone award. was thrilled to love him again. Yeah, after many years of girl, ghosts of girlfriends past. I mean, if stuff. this were a supporting actor for Magic that... Mike, then I would not be complaining at all. Like that performance, I feel like yeah. is the, the capper of all of them. Then he did what? Then he gave that speech, and everyone was like, <laughs> "That that'll be the last Oscar." <laughs> oh, that's for right. You. I forgot yeah. about his speech. It's somehow that's an episode to be like campaigns or awards campaigns we were rooting for until the speech. <laughs> and we were like, oh wait, we've made a terrible mistake. <laughs> but also, can we just quickly talk about wasn't Bruce Dern uh, arguably maybe a category fraud? Oh, like he was supporting? Oh, because like Will Forte yeah, was kind Will of Forte the lead. kind of the lead in that. Yeah, movie? I mean that's tricky. I think in 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 the weird way that in some Alexander Payne movies, everyone was a supporting character. Right. Yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, I think you could say the same thing about Election, even though Broderick nominally is, you know. Mm-hmm. So, but no, I think that. Yeah, that could, there is something to that, Mike. Also, and you know, it's a tiny little black and white thing where he, where Bruce Dern just kind of grunts and is mean, which he's right. been doing for fifty <laughs> years. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, okay. Uh-huh. I, I'm not. I'm not mad at the result. No, no, no. I think Matthew McConaughey can keep his Oscar. To, yeah, you know, he can keep it. No matter how many just bad speeches. Don't want to hear about it again. <laughs> no more from speeches him. from <laughs> McConaughey. And to um, my hero, that's who I chase. Now, when I was 15 years old, I had a very important person in my life come to me and say, who's your hero? And I said, I don't know. i got to think about that. Give me a couple of weeks. I come back two weeks later. This person comes up and says, who's your hero? I said, I thought about it. You know who it is? I said, it's me in 10 years. So I turned 25 10 years later. That same person comes to me and goes, so are you a hero? And I was like, not even close. No, no, no. She said, why? I said, because my hero is me at 35. So you see, every day, every week, every month, and every year of my life, My hero's always 10 years away. I'm never going to be my hero. I'm not going to attain that. I know I'm not. And that's just fine with me because that keeps me with somebody to keep on chasing. 
So to any of us, whatever those things are, whatever it is we look up to, whatever it is we look forward to, and whoever it is we're chasing, to that I say amen. To that I say all right, all right, all right. And to that I say just keep living, huh? Thank you. That does it for this week's Little Gold Men. Thank you so much for listening. And please rate and review us on iTunes. We appreciate it, and it helps us find new listeners. You can find us all at VanityFair.com and on Twitter. I'm at Katie Rich. Richard? Rylaws. And Mike? Mike underscore Hogan. And we're all at Little Gold Men. This episode was produced by Sam Dingman and edited by Tim Einenkel. And thanks to Laura Mayer and Andy Bowers at Panoply. And this week's award for most accurate description of a claw game machine in an arcade goes to Richard Lawson. The grab part isn't working. Know that fizzy feeling you get when you read something really good, watch the movie everyone's been talking about, or catch the show the internet can't get over? At the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast, we chase that feeling five times a week. We talk about the buzziest movies, TV, music, books, and more. From lowbrow to highbrow to in between, catch the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast from NPR.